Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I'm very much in control of my life as a freelancer and I don't need to be wearing a pair of high heels. I love getting to choose what I write about. Being able to slow cook while working from home is just one of the best things. Getting to go to a nice sandwich shop in the middle of the day. Success for freelance writers looks different for everyone. It's not money driven. It's something much more intrinsic, much more personal to us. And I think happiness is, it's something that we work on every day. I would much rather work less, find joy in the everyday and work less and cook more. I'm author and journalist Laura Price and you're listening to Life in Food, inspiring stories in bite-sized pieces. Each week I interview a different guest about how food has helped them through some of their biggest challenges. With a different theme each week, we look at everything from food and love to food and friendship, food and fertility, and even food and grief. This week's episode is Food and Freelance with Sean Meads Williams, author of the brand new book, The Pajama Myth, The Freelance Writer's Survival Guide. Sean is a freelance writer with more than 15 years experience who's written for publications including the New York Times and the Sunday Times Style. She runs a popular lifestyle newsletter called Tigers Are Better Looking and a media industry newsletter called Freelance Writing Jobs, which is quite frankly a lifeline for a lot of freelance writers I know. In 2021, she co-founded the Freelance Writing Awards, providing a space of recognition for the wonderful work of freelance writers in the UK. As a freelance writer myself, I started following Sean on Twitter about five years ago and I found her newsletter invaluable. She basically rounds up the best opportunities from careers websites, Twitter and direct sources and sends out a list of all the writing gigs once a week in a newsletter that's laced with cat gifts and amusing asides. I can very much recommend subscribing. When I heard a couple of years ago that Sean was crowdfunding for a freelance survival guide, I hit the donate button straight away. This was a book I really could have done with in the years I spent in a full-time job wondering when would be the right time to go freelance and how indeed I would survive. That book, The Pyjama Myth, is now here in my hands in in all its beautiful turquoise blue glory and I can honestly say it's so helpful. If you're a newly freelance or you're considering going freelance or even if you're like me and you've been freelancing without a clue for a few years then I absolutely recommend you buy it for all the wonderful tips on everything from pitching to whether a magazine or another journalist might steal your idea to paying your taxes, getting paid and so much more. This is a Life in Food podcast, so of course we're not here today to talk just about Sean's book. We're here to talk about food and freelance, two things that I have to say go very much hand in hand. 
As a freelancer, how do you ensure you make enough money to put food on the table? When you're working from home, how do you stop yourself from eating all of the time? And do freelancers really all sit around in their pyjamas eating cereal all day? Those are just some of the topics we're going to be talking about today. So, Sean, thank you so much for joining us and welcome to Life in Food. Thanks so much, Laura. Gosh, what a lovely intro. That was really nice. So, first things first, let's address the pyjama myth. Yeah. Is it true that all freelancers work in their PJs all day long? At least some days, yes. Um, I think it's now everyone started working from home so much more. It's perhaps quite a common thing that, like, if you've got a Zoom meeting, there's the joke that, like, you're dressed dressed for business halfway up and everything else under the desk is a mess. Um, and I think what the pyjama myth meant to me was the myth that you cannot be productive working from home, that you have to go to work wearing a business suit to be any level of of engaged in what you do as a business. And a lot of my writing gets written in bed because I'm comfortable. Um, all of my research is done on the sofa. Um, I work in my pyjamas less than I used to. Um, they're usually better when it's clean on rather than just waking up and starting work. But I'm very much in control of my life as a freelancer and I don't need to be wearing a pair of high heels or wearing a suit to be professional in my in my work. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I mean, I know when I was working in a full-time job and I had some days working from home, I was often more productive on the days that I was working from home because I didn't have this long commute and I didn't have to have a shower and get dressed and put my makeup on and yeah. all these sorts of things before I actually sat down and started to work, so... I'm with you on that. <laughs> so how long have you been a freelancer? What were you doing before you went freelance? And at what point did you realise you could become the expert on all things freelance? Gosh, that's that's a lot of questions. Um, I went, I was 25 when I went freelance, so just before my 25th birthday, um, which I, I suspect played a part in when I made that jump. Um, I was working in advertising sales um, and I just kind of jumped around. I was working for an insurance publication was my first job out of uni. And then um, I was selling classified adverts in the back of a um, in-flight magazine. The company insisted in my interview that they couldn't hire me if I was just looking to get a job in writing. I was writing for a website called Londonist at the time. And until they said that, it genuinely didn't occur to me that I could be a freelance writer. I, I didn't know that that was an option to me. I was just writing in my spare time. And something clicked when they said that, which was un unfortunate for them. Um, I left my job about a year later to become a, a freelance writer. Um, a various chain of events happened, which I talk about in The Pajama Myth. Um, but... That was, yeah, that was nearly that was 15 years ago and I have been freelance ever since except for a couple of stints of full-time work but even then I didn't stop freelancing on the side, I never have. Um, I love the freedom, I, I love being in control of my day and my week um, and I love, I love getting to choose what I write about, um, it's 
I think you get you do get some freedom in a staff job, um, especially as I tend to write mostly about lifestyle. It's not rocket science. I'm not I'm not saving the world, but knowing that I can have an idea and I can pitch it and I can find it at home and I can spend a morning in my pajamas wondering about that really interesting idea I had over the weekend and researching it and turning it into something the discovery that you get as a freelance writer is such a joy yeah and do you have um and I know there's been a lot of um things published about this but do you know roughly what the percentage is of how much is freelance writing of your work and how how much is freelance other stuff um so a couple of years ago I actually did a pie chart of this and I shared it on Twitter um which then got the hashtag freelance pie attached to it um and it really resonated because freelancers don't talk about all the other work we do so there's just this idea that we think people think we are just pitching articles the whole time and there are freelancers who do that and they do an amazing job of it I struggle with it um I have I like to have about three or four clients that are regular and I have my own projects that I work around Mm. so my income is actually much more diversified it's now made up 50% of my own projects which I like very much so the newsletter uh freelance writing jobs my other newsletter tigers are better looking and and books and all of these things that are absolutely not pitching articles um I don't pitch as much as I used to um but but when I do it's it's for pieces that I really want and Mm. I think I think when you go freelance there's just this temptation to pitch everybody every idea you've had without really going in deep on an idea that you are so excited about that you have to tell someone so and also there's that thing of you can look at the amount of your income comes from writing and from other projects but when you look at the amount of your time comes from writing versus other projects it might be entirely different as well so there's so much um uh multitasking and management of time and expectations and everything else which we can talk about in a bit Um, and what about in terms of when you became an expert and you sort of took on this role of like the oracle of the freelance writers world in the UK how did that come about (laughs) okay I I would be very wary of calling myself an expert I think Um, and I think the newsletter freelance writing jobs happened because I had the worst six months of my freelancing career to date and that was in 2018 um so you can imagine like I'd been I'd been freelancing for 12 years by that Mm -hmm. point it you don't expect it to happen and it was I was just about putting food on the table I was struggling so much but it meant I had to defer my MA I was halfway through my MA in English literature and I had to defer it for six months because I couldn't afford the fees. There was absolutely no way that I could do it. I remember panic pitching an editor seven articles in one email because I'd basically done the maths and thought, so it's like, if she says yes to all of them, I can pay for my MA. Mm-hmm. And the website folded and I did <laughs> not pay for my MA. And it was it was incredibly difficult. And as things happen with with freelancing those awful awful times often are very very short-lived um something good does happen like you you speak to different editors you you find opportunities freelancers are so scrappy 
we fight and we claw and we find opportunities in the most unusual of places. And I think that was part of why the newsletter came about because I was looking for job opportunities and absolutely everywhere. Every time I would visit a website for research or just for some other for shopping, like because I was still obviously window shopping for shoes even if I wasn't buying anything, I'd check the careers page and there would almost always be a freelance opportunity listed in them. And I started picking up more work and then suddenly everything turned and I kept on getting all of these offers for other work and I was like, I can't, I can't take this. And I thought a newsletter would be a great idea and I was supposed to be writing my dissertation one evening and instead I turned it into a newsletter. I was just like, I want to see how long this will take me. And the next day, 500 people had subscribed and then then more did and more did and they've never stopped coming um it's it's now i think it's the biggest newsletter of its kind in the uk um there there isn't anything like it for the uk writers um it's the diversity of the roles are what keeps people coming all the cat gifts um they are a big part of it but it's the the hours of research that means you're finding jobs that aren't listed on normal job sites one of the hardest bits of freelancing is that grind knowing that if you're not pitching for whatever reason you're sifting through jobs boards and just and twitter and just trying to find that and you're doing that every day on top of writing pitches on top of meeting deadlines and it is so disheartening to sift through all of that and then find out that that one job you thought was really great is actually unpaid Mm. and it's still listed on a professional jobs board which is the most infuriating thing it's so helpful your newsletter is so helpful in so many ways but it's really helpful in that sense in that you often write uh things like this pays x amount Mm. or you might write they haven't said how much this pays or this says competitive and therefore i suspect that it's xyz and you sort of give the the recipient an idea about what they might be receiving for that and thus you help us not waste our time so yeah it's it's absolutely invaluable i love it i i actually have a payment threshold um so that if there's a job that it sounds great but it's under a certain amount of money it doesn't doesn't go into the the newsletter at all um i'm i'm not public about that threshold um because i don't want companies to offer their bare minimum Mm. and it's really important to me to push rates up and and i will i do a lot of fighting behind the scenes um and i will tell companies when they're not offering enough money i'll push for more i will insist that any um any writing competition has sponsored places because i've i've been entering writing competitions myself this year and i'm I wince at having to pay £30 to enter a writing competition. It's too much money and there needs to be an alternative. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I push I push for a lot of exciting stuff. Oh, well, it's so important. So thank you so much for everything you're doing with that newsletter. So talking about putting food on the table, this is the Life in Food podcast. And we're obviously here to talk about food and freelance. And you've actually written a short section in the book on food. Yes. So yes. would you mind reading us a few lines from the book, please? I would love to. Can I have a drink of water first? Of course. (laughs) Thank you. So this is from the section called The Freelance Diet. I think a lot about food. I love to cook. 
I write regularly about food and reading restaurant menus, even if I don't have a reservation, is a legitimate hobby that my husband Tom calls Peru's boucher. Yet, I often eat lunch at 4pm and that lunch is often cereal. I see food as the ultimate joy, which can be a dangerous reward system when you work for yourself. I'll just finish this article and then I'll make lunch. Sounds great in theory, but then it's 3pm and you're furiously bashing at your keyboard and writing words that will only de- you will only delete later. There will be times when your lunches are in cute cafes or from the nice little place on the corner. Occasionally other people will pay for lunch and you'll dip nice bread in olive oil that costs more than your train ticket and you'll feel very professional freelance writer all the way home. When I've got a big deadline looming, I stock up on noodles and make sure I've got potato waffles in the freezer. Anything to stop lunch turning into a big drama, which means I cry about my deadline and have to settle for average takeaway at 10pm. No matter how much work you have on your plate, your brain and body deserve better than that sad little scenario. (laughs) Oh, fantastic. So much rings true in there, um, including the olive oil fancy olive oil dipped in the fancy sourdough (laughs) bread in when someone takes you out for lunch which I'm going to ask you about in a little bit so um before we go into food and freelance could you tell me a bit about the food side of things for you I know from your twitter and instagram that you're a massive foodie and it didn't go unnoticed that one of the first things you did when you received the final copies of your book was to take a copy out for afternoon (laughs) tea so where do you sit on the foodie scale and where does your passion for food come from Oh, it's, I just, I just love to eat, Laura. I just, I just love it so much. And I love to cook and I love to try and discover something new. And I love feeding my friends. I think one of the hardest things about lockdown has been not being able to feed Mm. people. And now, goodness, like people come over for dinner and I've made enough food for 20 people. I don't know how to cook a small amount of food. And I think that's one of the things that, is really hard as a freelancer working from home. Like any time I cook dinner for one, oh, it's like it's a sad little lunch. It's like it feels to me like a missed opportunity. Whereas dinner times over lunches, I just think I can eat whatever I like, and that's that's always been exciting. And from the day I moved out and into my own flat when I was eighteen, like going shopping, going food shopping is still the most exciting part of my week. <laughs> Um, I love it so much because I'm just I get to choose what goes in my basket and that's the possibility in that is is never ending for me and I never get bored of it oh we have uh, so many things in common (laughs) (laughs) so let's talk about food and freelance so first of all you're working from home every day well a lot of the time anyway and you're perilously close to your kitchen although actually we're recording this episode from your home and you have the benefit of your own office which is wonderful so you're at least a few steps away from your kitchen Um, but obviously working from home can lead to all kinds of temptation so how does your eating day look and do you have any strict rules around eating when you're working I don't I try not to have any strict rules around food. Um, I think once I start putting rules around what I'm eating, I I get quite obsessive with it, and I'm really conscious of that. Um, I I wish I ate breakfast more, so I'm trying to be more aware of that and eating eating more fruit. Um, I think at some point an actual fruit bowl is going to make its way onto my desk. Um, I think it's not so much... I have no issue with temptation or snacking. Um, Like it says in the book, I just don't want to 
eat sad lunch at five o'clock and then expect my brain to have been sustained throughout the day it's it's not possible to work like that not well and I think the more I see food as fuel rather than a reward the better and that's something that I'm always going to struggle with because I I do see food as the ultimate treat and it's it's a cheap treat often as well and I can I've I've stopped buying 50 quid pairs of shoes online <laughs> but I can, I will walk to the shop and buy a lovely cake if I've if I've done a really great article or got some really good feedback so yeah food is the ultimate reward for me so I have to be quite careful with when that tips into an area that doesn't serve me and do you tend to like stop at a certain time in the evening and eat a proper sit down dinner or do you are you one of those people who brings food back to the desk and carries on working into the night I'm actually not much of a desk eater um although when you came in I was eating lunch at my desk (laughs) um it's I think now my husband Tom is working full-time um and not working from home a huge amount it does give us a little bit more of a schedule um but it's once I've eaten it's very rare I go back to work um and I think that's one of the reasons I'll just be like I'll just finish this I'll Mm. just finish this so I don't if I was left to my own devices sometimes I would finish work at 10 and then have dinner because as soon as I've had any sort of nice food that's it I'm I'm cozy I'm sleepy the tv's on nothing else is getting done after that so but I think it's just being mindful of all the good things that being freelance and working from home can bring so at the moment um like this afternoon I get to prep dinner for a friend who's coming over this evening um and that's really exciting so I being able to slow cook while working from home is just one of the best things um getting getting to go to a nice sandwich shop in the middle of the day um running to the really really nice green grocers in Stoke Newington and just all of these things that they are part of a much bigger picture for me as a freelancer which isn't all grind every minute of the day it's much more about fitting small joys into into my work life which which is more fun yeah and it's a lifestyle isn't it it's a choice and it's a lifestyle about who you want to be and how you want to live your life and whether you want to be chained to a desk and office rules on it I suppose yeah I don't think anyone becomes freelance to work from nine till six Mm -hmm. and I think we're we're happier when we have that little bit of variety and a bit of freedom and sometimes it means I'm eating a packet of noodles um but then when we were talking about when we were trying to arrange a date for the podcast I was making fermented hot sauce (laughs) and now my own fermented hot sauce is going on my packet noodles so it's everything still stays as simple as possible during the day because I'm busy but the joy is still there and I really want the joy to be there and sometimes I think we all get a little bit bored of leftovers working from home um and I I try as best I can to just keep things interesting and sometimes that does actually mean cake for breakfast so (laughs) I'm intrigued how do you make fermented hot sauce what's the process like behind that um it's a nigella recipe from cook (gasps) eat repeat um so she did it on her tv show as well um it's 
just chopped up chilies, garlic, ginger with salt, and then you um, you kind of weigh it down and you leave it for. I left mine for seventeen days because my kitchen is freezing, um, and you sort of open the jar every day to up the sauce to let the kind of fermented gases kind of escape a little bit and then after when it's done you blend it up add a few more nice things and then you give it to friends on their birthday um so so. it's a bit like uh the labor of love that is sourdough bread making i suppose i'm i'm not a sourdough maker (laughs) i I wasn't even in lockdown i i don't actually have a huge amount of patience for anything that needs to prove um I think, or anything, even though working from home would afford me the time, like, I'm never going to make pastry just because I don't want to leave it to chill for an hour. Once once I've made something, I want to bake. I want that thing to be, be in the oven. Um, but it's why I really like slow cooking and casseroles, just because you can just put everything in the oven and leave it. Um, huge chunks of books get written while I'm roasting something. Um, a friend and I have started doing this thing where we will put a brilliant dinner in the oven, One we'll go around to each other's houses and we'll write all day and then just check on it. And, oh, it, wow. and then by the, the time dinner's ready, we've finished writing, we've poured a glass of wine and it's it's a really, really lovely way of doing quite a lot of work. Mm, yeah, that's wonderful. I love that. So what was it like for you in the beginning and how did you master the art of balancing food and work over time? Has it changed a lot over time? I couldn't cook when I went freelance. Um, and I I became, I, well, I launched my own lifestyle website, Domestic Slottery, um, in 2000 and I want to say 2011, but it wasn't, it was 2009. Um, and I couldn't cook. And we had food writers and I couldn't be one of them. It was a whole part of the site that I didn't know how to do. And we were one of the first food and food and homeware and interior lifestyle blogs in the UK. And I knew that if the site was going to be a success, I had to teach myself to cook. So I did. And it was... It was hard. it was a real exploration, but it wasn't an easy one. So a lot of my recipes started off very, very basic to start with. Um, and I think I hadn't really settled into freelancing at this point. I hadn't got a handle on my schedule. Um, I was just having a lovely time not working in an office. Um, and I think I, even as I do now, I still see recipe testing as legitimate work time. Of course. Like, it's... I think when when you cook, when you know what you're doing, that is excellent work time. When you're just spending all of your money on ingredients and you haven't got a clue what is happening, it's not the best use of your time. Um, and I think one of the reasons now that food is such an important part of my freelance life is because I learned to cook as I learned to freelance. And the two went very much hand in hand for me. And it's, I wonder if I'd have stuck with freelancing as much if I wasn't enjoying the rest of that exploration I was I think I was really finding out who I was through both of those of course and you were 25 as well but I think that's that's really fascinating and also I think that's a, a good learning about freelancing is that you don't and in fact it's impossible to know exactly how you're going to be as a freelancer straight away like nobody is going to say right I'm going to quit my job now I'm going to become a freelancer and from day one I'm going to have this routine I'm going to do it this way I'm going to achieve this much I'm going to earn this much it's something that whereas when you get a 
uh, offered a job this is the salary this is what Mm -hmm. you're going to earn it's not going to change unless you fight really hard for it after a year or so and it's one of those things that can evolve and you can you know your potential is kind of um limitless isn't it yeah yeah and I think that's that was a big part of it just not knowing and I think when people do have expectations when they go freelance I think um and this is something that I talk about in the pajama myth a lot we we have an idea and I think it's an external one that's pushed upon creatives and writers especially we have an idea of what success looks like and what that entails is certain bylines at certain publications a cover story in your first year of being freelance xyz all of these things that we are supposed to take off a list and I have that list somewhere I have the list of all the publications I wanted to write for and I still want to write for a lot of those publications but that's not how I define success anymore it's very different I think success for freelance writers looks different for everyone and it's not money driven it's something much more intrinsic much more personal to us and I think happiness is it's something that we work on every day and struggling to if you're struggling to kind of pinpoint what that is I've often found that it's because you're chasing a goal that you don't want Mm -hmm. you're just told that you should have or you're made to feel like this is something that what you're doing isn't enough and I think when you're when you're freelance you you're so conscious of your time being money and I hate that Mm -hmm. phrase because it is so counterproductive because for me time is also rest and relaxation and cooking and hugging my friends and all of those things that should be once you monetize your time you are you're I really believe you're telling yourself short um because suddenly every minute of the day suddenly has to be accounted for and it's it's not sustainable and it's certainly not enjoyable and I would much rather work less find joy in the everyday and well work less and cook more I think yeah, and, and absolutely, and just work on the things that are not necessarily the biggest money earners, but the things that do bring you that happiness. Because I think, for me, I've found that freelance life has really gone in waves, and I've got to points where I realise I can do certain piece of work that will earn me a decent amount of money, and I can do more and more of that if the company offers me more and more work. But actually, over the last couple of years, I found that I was putting off doing other things, like I really wanted to start this podcast, and... Um, I had a novel coming out um, that I'd written as well and just the ability to switch and say, okay, you're earning a certain amount of money but now is the time to say, I'm going to do the things that don't earn me me the money because they earn me the happiness and the peace and all of those things that are are really... Yeah, and I think if you are... If you're putting all of your success on on your finances there are a lot of external factors at play there and that's that's risky in itself um I spent the first six weeks of this year working on my fiction mm-hmm. um and it is nowhere near having a novel coming out um but I've yeah I've been working on that and I didn't get paid for it of because course. because of course you don't um you're really playing the long game when you start writing a novel 
but I think it, it meant a lot to me and it meant a lot to me then and you weigh up kind of what you weigh up how your day wants to look mm-hmm. and I think that's when freelancing and food is so intrinsic to me because and it's the same with anyone who's got a regular exercise habit or a hobby you you prioritize what that means to you and for some people it is making sure they can go for dinner with their best friend on a Tuesday or ensuring that their lunch date is is set in stone and when you have things in your life that you love they should be put in your diary and prioritized as much as any work project um and the balance always changes and I I always wary of talking about work-life balance but I think it's the flexibility of freelancing that really lets you explore your life yeah absolutely we've talked a bit about working from home and we're in your lovely office right now but do you sometimes work from other places like cafes or restaurants or coffee shops I do not um I hate it I've I've tried if I'm working in a coffee shop I am faffing around and playing around on the internet I'm not getting any work done um there's a really lovely cafe over the road called trade and I I love it I love visiting um I will meet friends for lunch and will gladly gladly spend 20 minutes in there at the end of the day having a cup of tea I can't work there um it's it's too much external noise Mm. and I yeah I just struggle with it so much um but I do love just I like having the option but I never make the most of that. And it's one of those things where people people talk so much about being able to work anywhere as a freelancer. And I'm really envious of people and I can see them doing that. What I do like doing is turning up to meet a friend for a drink an hour earlier and I'll sit and I'll write, write fiction at a nice bar for an hour with a glass of red wine. And oh. I enjoy that. It's really fun. What a treat. It's it's especially nice because it's, again, it's me sneaking work into my life without realising mm. that I'm doing it. So saying to a friend, I'll meet them at seven. And actually, I've been there since six. It's it's not a noticeable change. But, yeah, I can always tell when I'm reading back which bits of the book I was writing when I was drinking wine. So. <laughs> I bet. But I'm actually very, very, very similar. I can't work with no- noise and other people and there's just too much to look at when you're in a coffee shop. But the other thing that I find is that I drink so much that I need to go to the loo quite often. What do you do with and your I laptop? I don't want to leave my no. laptop and all of my stuff. So, yeah, <laughs> it's tricky. I don't know how people do it. If anyone has any tips, let Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well. HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, 
things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot maybe your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. As now. So we can't talk about freelance life without talking about finances, which are obviously vital for putting money on the table. I, like you, love treating myself, going to Waitrose or Marks and Spencers or farmers markets or little indie shops and buying all the lovely food as well as going out for lovely dinners. But when I first went freelance, I had to rein it all in because I didn't know when my next payment was going to come in. Um, as every freelancer knows, you spend half your time chasing invoices and it's not easy to get paid. And you've even written that in your yeah. bio, in your book. Um, so what tips do you have as a freelance expert or as a freelance um, person who's written a book uh, to make sure you're always earning enough money to be able to afford the food you want to eat? I think... The biggest mistake I made, there is a whole chapter in the book about the big mistakes I made with my finances when I went freelance. Um, they they involved being threatened by HMRC with bankruptcy. So I have had the, I've seen the raw end of not taking care of your finances. And I think it's all in preparation. Um, I I never really paid much attention to when money was coming in just what I was earning for the month and now I have a spreadsheet that projects what my earnings will be each month and that is so useful because I think we've all been there when we've got a client that we like and they are great but they pay on 90 day terms which is i I'm not going to swear on this podcast but it's utter bobbins um 90 days is absolutely the worst so it means you're you're getting work and you're doing all work in kind of March, but you're not going to see it for another three months if you're lucky. And if I'm if I'm not paying attention to when when money is coming in, I overspend, and I have to be really careful. But I also go have been known to go the other way, where I was so scared of spending any money because I didn't know what was coming in or coming out, and you can you can stop yourself having fun if you're freelance by just being too scared to spend and that's when you end up working every minute of the day because you're too scared not to so for me it's all about planning um and once I have a spreadsheet that really outlines all the work I have on all the money coming in when it's likely to arrive making allowances for clients that I know pay terribly and say that they'll pay in 30 days but usually it's within four months um as a rule it's universities that seem Uh. to have the worst payments for lectures that i've i've ever seen um 
I don't I don't take that money into account until it's <laughs> until it's in my account. Um, it's it's just not worth the stress of like relying on certain companies, which is hands down the worst part of being freelance. And um, I, you'd think it would get better. Um, well, I've been freelance for fifteen years now, and it hasn't. Um, I think you'd think that it was smaller companies that would be worse but it isn't smaller companies are often fantastic it is the same large companies every month who cannot get their accounts together and pay their freelancers i don't know if it is ineptitude i don't know if it's just a general disrespect for freelancers but it is the same across the board and i will not pull punches about it and i'll fight for it because it it has the impact to ruin someone's life. Mm. And and I say that with all honesty, it can mean a missed credit card payment. It can mean unpaid mortgages. It can mean notes on a credit file which stop you getting a mortgage, which, goodness, is hard enough as a freelancer as it is. <laughs> and And it means you're sucking the daily joy out of someone's life. It means you cu- you don't always have the option to go to a cafe and have a nice cup of tea when you've just got some really good news or just when you've had a crap day and you need perking up. And that's the reality of it. Um, so I think it stops people getting their cake. And I think people deserve their cake. They certainly do, yeah. I think it's actually a lack of value of freelancers versus their own employees. Um, And that's something I saw in the pandemic. When we first went into the pandemic was one um, publisher that I wrote for suspended its payments to freelancers. Mm for a while for like a month or so which is just like why 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 yeah. are you doing this there's the um, companies that um reduced freelance fees which was yeah it's like i can't i can't understand why you think that's okay um yeah. it's the same amount of work um but there was actually a company that reduced their fees it was a publishing house um that i know of that reduced their fees for a certain time and then they went back up um and not only did they go back up any freelancers that have worked over that time then got back payments oh great which was amazing and it's it's not that hard to take care of freelancers i think we we work hard we'd like to be paid for our work we'd like it to be valued we'd like to be paid on time i don't think any freelancers ask for the moon in that i think it's it as you say it's value and respect and it's there is so much good about freelancing otherwise I wouldn't have written a book about it it would not be my life there wouldn't be tens of thousands of freelancers in the UK if that wasn't the case Um, but the realities are that that is hard for freelancers every month and it doesn't seem to be changing yeah if anything it's getting worse in some cases but yeah people like you fighting for it is absolutely so important the pandemic hit freelancers particularly hard i know when we first went into lockdown i lost work and i was worried about how i was going to pay the bills especially because in my day job i I spend a lot of time traveling and writing about restaurants and all the restaurants were closed and we couldn't travel fortunately it worked out okay for me and i ended up being as busy as ever but it did make me grateful that i had money saved for a rainy day and was prepared for that kind of sudden loss of work 
How has the pandemic impacted you and the freelance community? And what has it taught you about freelancing and also about food, if anything? It's it's taught me that I can make an absolute meal out of anything. Um, I I would spend hours making the most elaborate meals during lockdown just because there was nothing to do so every meal was an opportunity to spend three hours just so yeah we need tomatoes for lunch they are going to be slow roasted for two hours it's going to be phenomenal um and anywhere where you could find joy really that wasn't banana bread because i'm not a fan um i think the resilience of freelancers is something that will always inspire me um i wish freelancers didn't have to be resilient um i worry now that we're getting into this this trend of wearing our failure and our resilience as a badge of honor and we shouldn't have to we shouldn't have to be so proud of the fact that we've survived a really horrible two years where people are reducing our payments and we're at the bottom of the payment ladder that shouldn't be something that we are needing to be strong about. So like the pride there, and it's very much a collective pride is great, but it's taken its toll and it's been incredibly hard. Um, I lost all of my work when I wasn't supposed to. Wow. Um, I, I was told that I had work and I just renewed a contract. And then four days later, that was reneged. And it was it was heartbreaking because I'd relaxed um, and it was it was genuinely a horrible situation to be in. Um, But but you find a way and I write about it in the book. Um, Just what was really lovely to see was the publications and the projects that came out of the pandemic. a lot of publications also folded and a lot of them were amazing and just swathes of writers and talented creatives lost their jobs and I I saw publications I write for go under and it was desperately sad, it always is and yet there was just this little glimmer of publications that came out of nowhere or someone finally had time to write that book they were thinking of or or start that newsletter that they really wanted to start. And I think I think it's true that people will always create and people will always find opportunities for themselves. And goodness me, freelancers will find a way to make money. Like we said, they are scrappy. We, we fight and we claw. And that's not to say that staff writers don't, um, because I think staff writers can also be freelancers. But I think it's it's a very different mentality to be freelance when when you know that if you don't do something you don't get paid it is that simple yeah so it's very hard to it's very hard to sit and cross your fingers um mm. you you have to go out and do it and the the momentum that freelancers have to keep doing that even during rejections even during deadlines and missed payments and absolutely everything that gets thrown at freelancers just gets just like well I'm still going to go and pitch that article before I have a sandwich it's it's overwhelmingly impressive I'm in awe of freelancers who can keep doing that every day yeah through a pandemic yeah <laughs> 
Well, speaking of the good things that came out of the pandemic, or at least that have happened since we first started the pandemic two years ago, you and I are both freelance writers who have recently branched out into writing a book. And in fact, you've written two. So you've written the brilliant nonfiction book, The Pajama Myth, and I've just written my first novel, Single Bald Female. I wrote a lot of my book on evenings and weekends when I had a full time job. And then I finished it off and did a lot of the editing when I was freelance but had to hold off pitching articles yeah. and journalism in order to write it. So how did you find time to sit down and write the book and also to pitch it in the first place? I I pitched the book in, gosh, it was 2019 when I pitched, so it was very much pre-pandemic. Um, I, I wrote a pitch at 1am uh, the week before my wedding. Um, I read the contract sitting on, by a pool in Greece on my honeymoon. Um, it was it was a little bit of a whirlwind, but because the pajama myth was actually crowdfunded, I had a big run up to before I was actually writing it, and I think people were surprised that I hadn't started writing it while it was being crowdfunded. And I'm just saying. I'm freelance. If there's no guarantee of the work, I'm not starting. And there was always a possibility that it wouldn't happen, um, which was terrifying. It took a year to crowdfund. Um, and the support has genuinely been overwhelming. But when your target audience is freelancers who don't get paid on time, the amount of people who said to me, as soon as like, my next invoice <laughs> gets paid, I'll pledge. And I heard it so often that it was just like, yep. Yeah, this this makes a lot of sense um it's writing the book itself was it was great but I did have to sit and knuckle down through a pandemic it was the only work I had really so it was but it was a very very strange thing just to go the world is kind of falling apart outside and I'm gonna sit and write a book yeah um yeah it felt very strange to have a piece of work that needed that much focus um and it really took a while for me to get to grips with what I wanted the book to say um because I think at that point it would have been the first lockdown no one had any idea what was going on it was immensely stressful for everyone and uh, yeah, it was just a very odd time to be writing a book. Yeah, and for anyone who's listening, who's thinking about writing a book, obviously the process for pitching a non-fiction book is completely different mm. to the process for writing a fiction book, which I know is something that you're doing at the moment, because with fiction, you have to write the entire novel yeah. before you can and edit it a few times before you can pitch it, before you can get an agent or before you can get a book deal. Whereas in the case of your non-fiction book, you were able to crowdfund, wait until you knew that you had the funding behind it and then write the book which yeah. is sort of a much more effective way but still somehow many of us choose to go ahead and write a novel <laughs> and I guess it's it's for the love isn't it yeah I think it is um I'm I'm having so much fun writing fiction at the moment and it's it's something that now is written into my freelance calendar it's not just something I do at weekends um before Christmas I was going to a weekly writing class um which really helped just to keep that momentum going and now it's like at least one or two afternoons a week are set aside just for writing the book and weekends as well because I need that I need that regular momentum I think you need to hang out with your characters more than once a week which is what I tend to end up doing if 
if I don't schedule it into the day. Because mm. as we've discussed, once I've eaten chips for dinner, I'm not going back to work. It's it's one of the benefits, I think, of having an office where I shut the door. So as soon as that door is shut, I, I have no interest in coming back here in an evening. I am finished for the day. And is there anything that you can tell us about your novel, or is it strictly under wraps for now? No, it's not under wraps at all. Um, it is historical fiction. Oh. It's set in Greenwich from uh, the mid-19th century, and it goes up all the way up to 1940, um, which is a huge time span. It is based on um, two real-life women, which is... a it, I don't think it surprises people that I'm writing a historical novel about real-life women. Um, through writing um, the newsletter, Tigers Are Better Looking, we we do a lot of profiles on interesting women in history. So in 2020, I also wrote the book, The Feminist Quiz Book, with my Tigers Are Better Looking co-author, Laura Brown. And that was just a huge celebration of um, women's achievements in geography, history, design and art and it's really such a lovely thing to be able to look at incredible achievements through through years and and just look at everything interesting that women have women have done and it's such a lovely book and it's so much fun the research was great we did a lot of that during the first lockdown and it was it was just really nice to focus on something interesting um but that's what the book is about so i entered the first 15,000 words of the Lucy Cavendish Award uh, last month. And, yeah, whether whether I get longlisted or not, I don't know. But it's the first time I think I've had something properly edited enough and something that I'm so super proud of. It's not my first novel by any means. Um, there are two hidden away. Um, I like to call them my practice novels now. Um, but, yeah, there are... There's a lot of love in this book and I'm having so much fun writing it. Wow, that is so exciting. And I have to say, I have so much respect for anyone who can write historical fiction. So, yeah, I'm I've, sure it's going to be amazing. I've learned I've learned a, a lot about research um, and just, just the, the sudden things that you realise are just absolutely not anything to do with 1857 <laughs> and it's like oh that wasn't even invented until then um so yeah I've been tripped up quite a lot um and just suddenly realizing like how many of the phrases that we use every day have come from like world war one or world mm. war two or stuff like that and it's yeah it's a lot of editing it's a lot of going back and checking that things are right or it's a faff I wish I'd set it in 2020 <laughs> <laughs> um so when you're a freelancer, people often assume you have plenty of time. I don't know if that's because they know you manage your own time or whether they think freelancing is a bit of a DOS. But anyone who's freelance probably knows we often have to work longer hours than some people in full-time employment. But anyway, when you're freelance, you often get invited for lunch or breakfast meetings, which I think when you're in a paid job might seem like a good way to while away the time on someone else's dollar. But when you're freelance, it actually takes out a massive chunk of the day. Yeah. And especially for me, when you have to commute in and then get ready and have the lunch and then get back home or whatever, it might take out half the day. So how do you find that balance between networking and getting out there in person to meet people as well as trying good food, but also making sure you get the work done? It is. It's... Oh, it's just a false equivalency, isn't it? You think it's like, yes, this will be fun. I'll go for coffee. But you're, as you say, coffee is three hours out of your day. Um, I meet people nearby. 
if I can walk somewhere 20 minutes, I will do it. Um, but otherwise I won't, um, pick up the phone. Um, mm. I, I would rather not, as we've all come to say, hop on a zoom. Um, but I, I will pick up the phone and I will call people and, it's amazing actually now how much warmer I find an actual phone conversation. Um, I think there's a real connection with talking to people on the phone. And I don't know if you find that, like if you call a friend instead of WhatsApping them, you're just like, this is lovely, we should do it all the time. And that that helps, I think. Um, networking, networking to me is quite odd. Um, I'm, I'm such a believer in the fact that you can form relationships with people digitally Mm. um and that makes me sound quite the millennial but i think about when when laura and i started writing newsletters together which was 2015 we oh gosh that was a long time ago um (laughs) possibly 2016 but still much further back than i'd anticipated just there um we hadn't met laura lives in dundee um so we'd basically decided to go into business because i sent her a tipsy message at like 2 a.m after a brilliant conversation that we had and then i followed it up because i couldn't sleep at 7 a.m and i was just like we should do this it would be great and that's why we started writing newsletters together she came down to london and i remember it was very fancy and i was nervous it was like going on a first date and we, I remember I bought a uh, clementine cake from Conditor and Cook, um, or Conditor now, as they think they are. Uh, that's how long ago it was. Um, and I was just like, yes, I'm, I'm buying someone a fancy cake because it, to me it was, it meant a lot, but our, our working relationship had already been cemented from years of working together, even though we'd never met. So we'd, we'd cemented our working relationship for years. We didn't have to meet. And and I think there's we've got such a shared connection through food. The day I moved in here um, was so it was a year ago. Um, Easter was very early last year. Um, it was just the kind of end of March, um, and I decided to make my own salt beef. Um, and we we both did it across the opposite ends of the country. So she was she was in Inverness at the time. Um, and we bought um, the salt that we needed, the curing salt, and we made we made salt beef over a week, and it was it was like having lunch with her, even though we couldn't because there was a pandemic, and I've not seen her since twenty nineteen. Oh wow! I haven't haven't seen her since my wedding. Um, but we write about food and we talk about food and we play a little menu game um which usually we're in we're in the middle of a writing um a tiger's issue one of us will be going out for dinner um and we're just like i'm going here and we'll send each other the menu and i'll just be like you'll you'd have this you'd have this (laughs) and it's just it's a way of sharing food and our work life without being next to each other and it's it's really important to me because it's we we would love to have lunch more together um yeah but there's other ways of connecting without needing to do that it's something that um 
I I started a blog when I was diagnosed with cancer ten mm. years ago now, and that for me was probably one of my first ways of realizing that you connect, you could connect with all of these people around the world that you didn't know, and sort yeah. of make these virtual friends. Who now actually I see some of them are um, are still well, and they're you know having yeah. their ten year anniversaries as well, and some of us still keep in touch. So yeah, yeah it's cool. That's the internet can be good. So speaking of menu games, I'm going to move on to the questions that I ask everyone on this podcast. Lovely. So your relationship to food fuel or pleasure oh it's pleasure all the way favorite meal of the day dinner snacks lunch snacks okay yeah crisps crisps all of them (laughs) oh my god which crisps i i flip between hula hoops and squares i think i'm going through a bit of a hula hoop phase at the moment which hula hoops red ones are those plain ones yeah love them yeah wow i'm all about the barbecue beef all the way every now and again i get a craving for those but yeah if it's i would rather eat 10 packets of crisps than have a piece of cake okay yeah i'm i'm probably similar yeah, i i i i od on crisps quite a lot <laughs> name one meal that always makes you feel happy oh i had it for dinner last night ham egg and chips oh it was it was such a joy just suddenly real like pinpointing exactly what you want to eat and just going yes that um so tomorrow it will be something different um the day after it will be something different uh but right now ham egg and chips vinegar on the chips always ketchup no okay sorry i was just very anti-ketchup or something (laughs) i don't i don't love ketchup um yeah i would i would go salad cream possibly which is very retro controversial Um, name one food that has healed you oh it's oh god you can hear it in my voice um it's a it's a dish from a bon appetit uh, recipe that we call happy soup um i think if um if someone not white had been writing at bon appetit they would have called it congee or something very similar um it's a soup made with uh chicken and kale and rice and that sounds incredibly dull, but it has um, crispy garlic and chilli on top of it, and it has cured all ills, enough for it to be known as happy soup. And this has, it, it just soothes in a way that only soup can, um, and it is so much greater than the sum of its parts. Um, I love it. I have to say, there's a bit of a soup theme running through some of the episodes in this <laughs> podcast, so I'll have to make sure you listen to the, the other soup mentions. But it's a very popular dish. Yes. Um, one dish that reminds you of family. Banana sandwiches. Oh, but you don't like banana bread. No, no. Uh, banana sandwiches make me think of my nan. Um, and and uh, always on brown bread. Um, and it's very rare. But, yeah, there's something, something just about that. The smell, the taste. Um, it was always granary bread. Um, and, yeah, yeah, I love them. I used to live in Brazil and they sometimes have sweet pizzas there and you could have a banana pizza either on a condensed milk base or a Nutella base. You might like that. Their, their commitment to condensed milk makes me very, very <laughs> happy. It's, we we have a tin in the in the cupboard and I'm still not quite sure what I'm going to do with it. And when you talk about whether or not we're going to, like as freelancers, you sneak to the um, kitchen for snacks it shows great restraint that I haven't just opened that tin and drunk it um. could go well in a banana sandwich that's all I'm saying 
So one recipe that everyone should know how to cook. Oh gosh, it's I have a real I have a real sympathy with what people should and shouldn't cook. Um I think I think everyone is a different type of cook as as I've talked about a lot. I love slow cooking. I can't stir fry. I hate having too many things on the go. I get bored of chopping. It's just not my bag at all. Um whereas my husband Tom's far too impatient to slow cook something and I think the thing that you should cook or the thing that you should know how to cook is the thing that you love to eat the thing that will bring you joy the thing that will make standing in front of a hob a pleasure rather than a chore and and I can't I can't define what that is for me it's it's the it's the change in food or the smooshing as I like to call it they this this thing that happens, this alchemy that happens after something has been in the oven for three hours and you can smell it and it's filling your house, that is where I get the joy from. Usually because I'm watching a film at the same time. (laughs) But for other people, it is stirring a risotto and just when you stop feeling your shoulders tense Mm. because that stirring and that smell is, is just what is taking over then if that's your joy then learn how to do that because it sounds great so 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 true your best meal ever we've already had the ham egg and chips um it's the day day after we got married um we were not just a little bit hungover we sat in bed and opened all our cards and presents and we ate the last slice of the wedding cake which was a, a phenomenal lemon drizzle. And it's, it was one of the best things I've ever eaten. It was amazing. It tasted even better the next day. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it was just the perfect moment and the perfect cake. And it's one that even if we bought the cake again, that that feeling wouldn't be replicated. And I think food is so much about that. I could have also said the birthday meal that we had in the restaurant over the road um, or just so many. It's so much about people for me and and the situation and the time. And I think that's really important. But I'm also quite immediate about things like that so it might well be the piece of cheese and the, or the, <laughs> the piece of stilton that i'm gonna have in about 20 minutes standing by the fridge um it's all food is joy i hope so yeah i can't i can't pinpoint it okay well cake for breakfast is certainly a great one <laughs> finally some food for thought what is the one piece of advice you would give to anyone who is considering going freelance and perhaps isn't quite ready to make the leap? I think you know when you're ready. I think that is that is the key piece of advice. Um, and it's often when you're wondering whether you're ready because you've already made that jump. Um, I think it's worth thinking about the idea that nothing is permanent absolutely nothing if I can write a book on freelancing and yet I've still done two or three stints of full time in my life I it does it's not the be all and end all um and just follow your joy I think and if that is going freelance then that's when you'll find it the best thing um I love it and I really hope other people find their joy in it 
Oh, thank you so much. You're welcome. Sean, thank you so much for coming on the podcast and sharing your thoughts about food and freelance. It's been an absolute pleasure and I think you've probably inspired a few would-be freelancers to take the jump or if not to take the jump into freelancing, then at least to make ham, egg and chips with <laughs> I <hope> vinegar. So. <laughs> Congratulations on your book, The Pajama Myth, The Freelance Writer's Survival Guide, which is out now. Thank you very much for having me, Laura. If you enjoyed this chat with Sean Meads-Williams, you can buy her brilliant book, The Pajama Myth, which is out in paperback now. You can also buy my novel, Single Bald Female, which tells the story of Jess, a young magazine journalist who is diagnosed with breast cancer and makes a remarkable friend called Annabelle, who knows more about living than anyone Jess has ever met. The novel was inspired by my own experiences of being diagnosed with breast cancer 10 years ago when I was 29. If you enjoyed this episode, please hit the subscribe button and rate and review the podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. We've got some incredible guests coming up and your support will allow other people to find it. If you want to know more about my book and hear about upcoming episodes of the podcast, please do follow me on Instagram at Laura Price Writes and on Twitter at Laura Price Write. Those links are in the show notes too. Thank you for listening to Life in Food with Laura Price. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.